You're listening to audio from Calvary Baptist Church of Port Austin. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn more about us, please visit cbcportaustin.org. I don't know about you, but when I get sweaty or dirty or in any way, I just feel kind of like I worked hard that day or I played sports. One of the first things I want to do is go home and just like get rid of those clothes, take a shower and get new clothes on. Like I don't want to just sit in those clothes. And I think most of you would agree with me. That's not a very fun experience. Um, But believe it or not, I had a uh, teammate. I think I may have told you this story, but I had a teammate in college on our soccer team. Um, that he would play, and, and this was in Florida, okay, so very humid, very sweaty, very disgusting, okay, and, and he would go back to his room, and you know, all of us would go, we'd change and shower and all that, he wouldn't, he would just go, and he wouldn't just sit in a chair, right, like he would lay in his bed, like in his jersey, like we did not understand it, um, his roommates hated it, uh, I thankfully wasn't rooming with him, he was just a teammate, but man, he would just lay there in his sweaty jersey, like I don't even, I don't even get that, right, like that's just disgusting, um, it's appalling, right, but the reason I bring that up to you is because in our passage today, um, Paul's going to use the metaphor of putting off dirty, filthy clothing and replacing it with the new clothing that we've been given in Christ. If you want to hear this in verse 22, it says, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So you see the metaphor here, right? He's saying you used to live a certain way And that certain way carried with it a certain lifestyle, um, a certain clothing, if you will, that you wore around. But now you've been made new in Christ. And so put that off. Like, don't go lay in your bed in your filth, right? Like, put that off and put some new clothes on and walk as who you are in Christ. You should put that off. You should throw it away. Um, In some cases, when you're really, really dirty and it's a really hard job, you might just want to, like, burn those clothes, right? And, and that's kind of the, the metaphor Paul's using here. Like, don't put those clothes back on. Don't walk around as if you have not been made new in Christ. And so it's a really powerful metaphor that I think kind of helps us capture the truth of this message. Um, before we dive into the, the text verse by verse, though, I do want to remind you of where we've been in Ephesians. If you remember a few weeks ago, we kind of transitioned into chapter 4, and chapter 4 begins by saying, therefore... Okay, so whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, you should ask, what is it there for, right? And what Paul is is talking about, he's saying, in light of everything I just taught you in chapters 1 through 3. And in chapters 1 through 3, we heard all about who we are in Christ. There weren't a lot of commands. There were just glorious truths for us to look at and be amazed by. And be stirred in our hearts to think in chapter 1 we saw that we were chosen by the Father, redeemed by the Son, sealed by the Spirit. In chapter 2 we see this amazing picture that Paul lays out of who we were before um, Christ. We were dead in our sins. We were separated from God. We were alienated from Him. We, We had no hope. We had no promises. And yet he brought these Jews and these Gentiles together into one new man. And then that spills over into chapter 3. And he ends chapter 3 with this glorious prayer. Where he says, you know what I want you to understand as I wrap up this first section? I really want you to understand just how much Christ loves you. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And, and what we do is we gloss over that and say, cool, Christ loves us, but what do I have to do now? And we, we just want to get to the do's and we forget about what's done for us in Christ. And we don't pause long enough to allow that to stir our hearts and fill our minds and empower us for service. So don't gloss over one through three, who you are in Christ, and jump to what we do. 
Because otherwise, you, you turn quickly into moralism or legalism, trying to earn God's favor. What Paul is saying here is you need to understand just how disgusting and sinful you are or you were, and yet just how much Jesus loves you. That he was willing to pay for your sins on the cross and to give you new righteousness so that you're no longer filthy, you're no longer dirty, you're new in Christ, you're a child of God, you're seated at his table. He loves you because he loves you and tomorrow when you mess up, he still loves you. Sometimes we have this view of the Christian life um, um, like this, this idea that we're always tripping and falling and that God's just mad at us. But I want you to think about this. Those of you who have children, when they're learning to walk, right, and they're kind of stumbling and, they're, you know, and, and what do you do? You, you don't get mad if they fall down, right? You're not like, I can't believe you. This is ridiculous. Start walking. No, what do you do? When they're stumbling around like that, you're getting the camera. You're streaming it to Facebook. Like you're, you're, you're throwing a party. Like they took a step. Like, yeah, they beefed it hard after. But they took a step. My kid's walking. That's how you ought to see your relationship with the Father. That he is so excited to see you stepping out into faith. And trying to live out who you are in Christ. And yes, you're going to fall. Yes, you're going to stumble. But don't forget how much Christ loves you. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And then that spills over into chapter 4. And he says, now in light of all those glorious truths, this is how we ought to live. Not to earn God's love. You have God's love. But because we have God's love, we ought to live a different way now. We ought to shine as his children in the world. And so we get here to chapter 4, and he, and he kind of talks about unity all throughout, and the importance of unity, and man, what a powerful message uh, for today. You know, the answer for our culture today is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and as Christians, we ought to model what unity looks like because of the gospel. But I always say, um, the gospel starts with what? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Which means none of us should come in here acting like um, we've got the swagger because we earn God's love or favor and we're so righteous and holy. No, we're all bankrupt sinners in need of grace. And so let's walk with humility and gentleness and love and patience with others. That's what Paul is talking about. And then last week we saw this amazing um, picture of how everyone in the body of Christ has a gift, has been uniquely wired and uniquely placed to serve Christ in his body and to shine on wherever that church is, which is just an awesome truth. And then here at the kind of end of chapter four, he starts to talk about this new life and what does it mean to live out this new life that we have in Christ. And again, I just want to remind you, it's so crucial that you keep the order intact that the Bible has here. It doesn't say, hey, put off your filthiness and start living right. And maybe God will love you. No, it says God loves you and there's nothing you can do to change that. And so live in light of that love. Step into that freedom. Step into that fullness. And what I always say about the Bible is the commands in Scripture, sometimes they rub against us like sandpaper. We read them and we're like, oh, I, I don't like that. But remember that in the beginning, God created all things and what do you say? It was very good. Literally, you have a man and a woman, and they're in the garden, and they've got everything, and things are great. And it wasn't until sin ushered in when we rebelled against God that things got bad. And so now when we hear the commands, we don't like them, but we need to remember that every command in the Bible is meant to bring you back to God's design. Back to true joy and true peace and true fullness. And those of you who have kind of rebelled or maybe you went through a stage where you ran away from God and tried to live your own way, you know the brokenness. You know the pain. And, and sin looks like there, there's pleasure for this season, but it's only going to lead to heartache, which is why it's so important that we look at the text and say, God, how should I live for your glory and for my good? 
All right, and so don't, don't reverse the order here. Don't say, okay, I've got to obey all of this to try to make God love me. Say, God loves me, and so I want to live like that's true. All right, and so we're going to jump in. Um, the main kind of theme, if you look at this passage, is um, don't live like unbelievers and instead live as the new creation in Christ. Okay, so let's jump into verse 17. It says this, Now this I say, and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. When Paul says you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, he's using the term Gentiles to refer to unconverted, unbelieving people. All right, and so you may be like, we're Gentiles. Shouldn't we, like, walk as Gentiles? What he's using there is he's pointing to the fact that Gentiles were, were associated with alienation from God. So he's using that term to mean that. And notice how he described them here. He said they're futile in their minds. That's the idea of vanity, just emptiness. Just no purpose, just wandering about, chasing the wind, never, never finding satisfaction, never finding purpose, never stepping into God's design. They're darkened in their understanding, just blinded by their sin, um, they think they know what path they should be on. They think they're living the right way, and, and they're just completely darkened. They're alienated from the life of God, which I think is the worst part about it. Imagine living in this world apart from a relationship with God. I just can't fathom that. I can't even fathom it. To go to a funeral and to not have the hope that we have, to see all the, the hell that is in our culture right now and in our country and in our world, and to just be so grieved and broken by that, but to know that we have hope of a new creation Like we sang about earlier, all glory be forever. It says all creation groans. That's right out of Romans 8. We feel that. We feel creation itself is groaning. It's broken. This is not how we were made to live. But we have a hope of a new creation. Not floating in clouds as angels. Walking with physical bodies in a new heaven and a new earth with our creator. Can you imagine living without that? That's what the Gentiles were. Alienated from the life of God. And then callous in their living. You know what that has the idea of just hardened to it. They don't even feel it anymore in the way that they're living. And then look at verse 20. But that is not the way that you learn Christ. I love that because he's not saying um, that you learned things about Christ. He's not saying you learned doctrines um, or truths. He's saying that's not the way you learn Christ. I love that because it emphasizes that we are first and foremost called to learn a person. Jesus Christ. And we're called to be shaped and transformed by him, to treasure him with all of our beings. All right? It says, that is not the way you learn Christ. But then look at this in 21. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Paul's writing to believers here. And so he's just, he's just reminding in case there are people who haven't heard Christ or learned Christ. Um, he's saying, assuming that you have heard. So if you haven't, that, that ought to trigger a warning there. And we're going to pick that up a little bit more. Um, in a minute here, but he's saying here that you, you need to be a Christian to understand this way of life, which goes back to what I was saying earlier. Don't take this as you need to earn God's favor to become a Christian. You are a Christian. All right. And so he's writing to believers. And I just want to say again, if you're here today or if you're watching um, online, that if you are going through this season apart from Christ, alienated from God, you are not sufficient for this. You're not sufficient for anything apart from God. You need God. You need His grace. And so the question is, have you received Christ? Have you learned Christ? Are you walking in this life? Have you had a time where you recognized you were separated from God because of your sin? 
And that Christ absorbed the wrath that you deserved. He, he paid for your sins on the cross. And yet he rose again triumphantly. And he offers salvation to all who will turn from their sins and trust in him. Paul wants to know that they are believers here that are reading this. And then in, in summary, we get to 22 through 24, which is really going to form the heart of my message. We read it earlier. To put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That's the summary here. And so if you want the points in a nutshell, put off, be renewed, and put on. Put off, be renewed, and put on. We're going to look at those one at a time. First of all, put off the old self. To put off the old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Your old self refers to who you were before Christ. I say this all the time, but all of us were born into this world as sinners. Those of you who are kids here and, and you're like really, really bored right now because you're stuck in this service. I'm sorry, okay? We're, we're going to try to get the nursery back up and running here in a few months, okay? But, but those of you who are here, you know your parents didn't have to teach you how to sin. Right? They didn't have to sit you down and say, okay, here's how you fight with your brothers and sisters today. And um, here's how you mouth off to the teacher. Right? Like, that just came natural. Nobody taught you that. That's because the Bible says we were born as sinners. We were born bent towards sin. And it's like that shopping cart in Walmart. Like, you look at it, it looks good, and you start to wheel it. And that one wheel, it's just pulling you the whole time. That's our sin nature, just pulling us away from God, away from his design for our lives. That's what Paul is saying here. That's your old self. And I love the two ways that he describes sin here. First of all, he, he says that sin is deceitful. You need to understand this. Uh, everyone in this room needs to understand the deceitful nature of sin. What does that mean? It means the devil doesn't come up to us with a pitchfork and horns and say, come with me. Like, like no, it's not how it works. It's deceitful. It looks good. It looks enjoyable. It looks better than sitting in church and hearing this guy talk about the Bible. Right? It looks better than singing praises. It looks better than obeying the scriptures. But it's deceitful. And this is a key truth about the way sin works. We sin. Why do we sin? Not because we want to rebel against God. That's very rare, I think, for, especially for those of us who are believers. We sin because we believe the lie that sin is going to bring us satisfaction. What was the very first temptation in the garden with Adam and Eve? Hey, Eve, I know you've got this entire garden, paradise, everything you could want, right? But God's holding out on you on this one tree. And I'm telling you what you got to taste this tree, right? Like he was selling it and she bought the lie. And that's a key characteristic of sin. Sin always looks good, but don't be deceived by it. Sin makes promises to you that it can never deliver. It writes checks that you cannot cash. Do not fall for the deceitful desires of sin. But not only is it deceitful, I think it's deeper than you realize. What you ought to do with sin is you should always trace the fruit of your sin back to the root of it. To find what's really going on in your heart. A lot of times we look at the, the fruit of it and we think, oh man, I lied, i got to stop lying. But you should trace that back and say, why did I lie? What sin in my heart is causing me to feel like I have to make up a truth about myself or about this situation? You can trace it back. Let me illustrate. Some of us have these lists of sins in our minds um, with the really big and bad ones over here and the small ones over here. And, and we have this list and we categorize them and, and some of them um, look bad in the outward manifestation of them, but sin is sin. All right, and so let me illustrate. One man struggle, may struggle with sexual sin and maybe he's sleeping around and, and you look at him as just, man, what a dirtbag. 
I can't believe that guy. He's sleeping around. He's, he's got this sexual sin and it's horrible. And, it, and, and we all label that, right? But then another man maybe just struggles with habitual lying. And we would say, well, you know, that's not as bad. Probably, probably white lies, right? We've got these respectable sins. But, but when we do that, we miss the heart of what sin really is. Sin, at the heart of it, is idolatry. It's trusting in created things rather than our creator for hope, for happiness, for significance, for security. So man one may be looking to sex for hope and happiness, and man two may be looking to lying as a way to be secure or significant. But both of those are idolatry. They're, they're looking to created things to fulfill a desire that only our creator can fulfill. And so when you, when you struggle with sin, when Paul says put off the old, he doesn't just say like make a list of, of the outward manifestations of your sin. Like realize it's deeper. So trace it back to the root of why am I sinning? Put that off. Why would I live this way? Right? So if, if I'm lying all the time to make people um, feel a certain way about me, then I miss the fact that I have the approval of the only one who really matters, and that's God. And I'm not going to get given to idolatry and put on this facade about who I am. And so, so don't be caught up by the fact that, first of all, sin is deceitful. And don't also be caught up by the fact that, well, my sins aren't as bad as others, and so I don't have that much of a problem. Trace it back to the root. Why would you, why would you step into that sin again? Don't be content, like my, my teammate, to sit in your filth. Right? Why, why would we do that? Put it off, Paul says. Put off your former self. But then he continues, and he says, be renewed in your spirit. Be renewed in your spirit, verse 23, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. So once we put off our old self, we need to be renewed. This refers to the cleansing and the transformation of our inner man that is accomplished by the Holy Spirit. And I want you to notice that this is in the passive voice. But some of you are like, what are you even talking about? What that means is it's not us who's doing the renewing. It's God. It's be renewed, which means that God is ultimately doing this. If you look at that in the Greek, it's, it's passive, which is really interesting, but it's still a command. So, so what is that? Well, it really illustrates a really awesome truth all throughout the Bible of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, that God ultimately does things, and yet we are commanded to act in light of those things. Um, and so we're not going to get off in that. Once Table Talk is back and we can discuss that, maybe we'll do it then, all right? Um, but what is he saying here? If, if the first step... To, to battling sin and to stepping into the new life that we have in Christ is to put off our old. And I illustrated that, like taking off those dirty clothes. Be renewed would kind of have the idea of taking a shower, right? Like you, you took off the clothes, but you still, you still need to be renewed in your inner man. You need to be cleaned up. You need to, you need to wrestle with why did I sin? Why was I wearing that dirty shirt, right? What, what needs to be renewed in my heart and mind right now before I can step into fullness, all right, Romans 12.2 is a helpful cross-reference to this. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. There's that language, being renewed in our minds. The word conformed in this passage is, is, has the idea of a jello mold. Okay, and so some of you have made jello and you get this mold and, and maybe it looks like a cool whatever. And you pour that liquid in there and it's very liquidy and then you put it in the fridge and it kind of hardens, right? It, it, it's conformed to whatever mold you chose. That's what this idea has. It's saying that the world around us is, is trying to force you into a mold of thinking, a mold of living, a mold of where satisfaction is found. They're, they're trying to conform you. Every day you're being shaped. You're being molded by the voices of our culture, by our friends, by our family members, by social media. Oh, right? Can we just, just end social media? 
by television, by radio. All of those voices, all of those narratives, all of those stories are forcing you into a mold. They're trying to get you to think a certain way. And we are hopeless apart from the Word of God. In chapter 2, it, it talked about us as like dead fish just floating along stream in the course of this world. But now we've been made alive. We, we swim against that. We need to be renewed. And so if we, if we hear a message uh, from the culture saying this is how it ought to be, we should check that with the word of God. Not just be conformed in our, in our minds by the world, but be renewed in the spirit of our minds. We must resist this conforming pressure. And instead, go to God's word and ask the spirit of God to renew our minds, to transform us into the likeness of Christ. Say, God, I... Man, every day I'm hearing all these voices, I'm hearing all these narratives, I'm hearing all these stories, I'm hearing all these, this is how it ought to be. God, would you, would you wash my mind? Would you cleanse it with your spirit? Would you clean my inner man and get me to think like you think and live like you live and act like you act? That's what it has the idea of. And this brings us to our third point. Put on the new self. So we put off the old self, we're renewed in the spirit of our minds, and lastly, we put on the new self. Verse 24, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. If the old self was who you were before Christ, the new self is who you are now. It's who you are after Christ. It refers to the new nature you received when you were born again by the Spirit. This is so awesome. Okay, This new nature, notice, is being created after the likeness of God. This refers to the fact that in the very beginning, what does the Bible say about mankind? We're all made in the image of God. And by the way, everyone was made in the image of God, which is why we, create, we, we treat all people with dignity and respect and value and love. And, and, and this, this idea that there's two separate groups of people is just absolutely unbiblical and ridiculous. We're all made in the image of God. All right? And so, so we see we're made in the image of God. And, and, and this, what does that mean? Well, why do you put pictures in your house? You hang pictures because those images point to the original, right? They reflect an event or, or whatever it is. We have wedding pictures all over our house, and that's meant to point to our wedding, to glorify our wedding. In fact, when Genesis was being read by the, the Israelites, they would have had a very strong picture in their mind because when a king conquered this territory, he would set up a statue of himself to say, I own this territory. And so if you've got... Like 8 billion people walking around the world, you've got 8 billion statues of God saying what? That he owns this place. And they ought to reflect his nature and character to the world. But that's obviously not happening. So what, what happened? Well, just a few chapters later, sin entered the world. And the Bible says it didn't remove the image of God. It just distorted it. So now when we look at people, we don't necessarily see the character of God. We don't see love and joy and peace. We see a lot of hate. We see lying, we see sin, we see brokenness. But what does this say? It says when, when you've been given new life in Christ and you put on that new self and you walk in it every day, what you're doing is you're being made back into the image of your creator, the likeness of your creator. This is incredible. That's why it talks about being conformed in the image of Jesus. And this is why we go through trials in this life. Right? If a weightlifter wants to get strong, he doesn't just do puny weights. Right? He slowly adds up the resistance. And, and we have resistance in this life. And that resistance conforms us into the image of Christ. Which is our purpose. Which is why all things exist for the glory of God. Which means the more we, we live in this new life, the more we reflect the nature and character of God. And the more he is glorified in our lives. Which is why our purpose as a church is we exist to spread a passion for the glory of Jesus. That's why you exist. What an awesome privilege. 
And then it says, well, what does this image look like? What does God look like? It says true righteousness and holiness. Righteousness has the idea of obeying what is required in God's law or living in accordance with the standards he has laid out. It's righteousness, doing right, obeying God's law. Holiness. Man, a lot of times when we hear the word holy, it's kind of like broccoli for a kid, right? Like, ah, who wants holiness? Right? That just sounds bad in every way, right? But holiness, you've got you've to get a new view of holiness. Because again, I think this is the enemy trying to deceive us again that holiness, uh, sin, fun, right? Like, you've got to get that out of your head, okay? Holiness has the idea of being set apart, of being different, of being dedicated to God, of being pure. When all of these dead fish are floating downstream, holiness is the one fish that's floating upstream, according to God's standards. It's a beautiful privilege that he calls us into. We are holy. Why? Because he is holy. So, so if he's our dad, if he's our father, let's reflect our father. Let's be like him in holiness. It's not broccoli. It's steak. All right? Some of you don't like steak. It's ice cream. Okay? <laughs> holiness. It's, it's set apart. Okay? So to continue this clothing metaphor, this is the new clean outfit that my teammate should have been putting on, right? This is, this is our outfit to, to step into God's design for our lives, to put on the new self and, and, and to, to walk in the life that he's given us. So to apply this, I want to put these all together really quick. Put off, be renewed, put on. This is, this is literally a step-by-step process, and we love steps, right? Like, yeah, give me steps, okay? Here you go. I don't talk a lot about steps because the Bible talks more about what God has done than what we need to do. But here's something we can do to conquer sin in our life. Some of you have sin in your life, and it's just devastating you. It's breaking you. You wake up every day and go back to the cycle of sin, and you hate it, and you want victory over it. Here's how you have victory. Put off, be renewed, and put on. Put off. Some of you are trying to live this new life in Christ, but you haven't surrendered that sin. You know what it is. All right, I'm not going to start listing them, but you know what it is. You've got this one drawer in your life with this one sin that you just don't want to get rid of. And so you're not stepping into the freeness and, and, and the awesome, abundant life that God has for you because there's this one drawer in your life that you don't want to surrender. Put that off. Put it off. Put it to death. Get rid of it. Be renewed. Some of you have found success in kind of surrendering everything to God. Okay, I'm giving it all to God. I'm putting it all off. But then we try to jump right into living this new life and we forget we need to be renewed by the Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to renew us, to empower us, to, to cleanse us, to, to remove the, the fleshly cultural way of thinking and, and fill it with His Word. But then some of you, you remove your sin, you're praying for holiness, but then you just stop. Okay, so you're like the person that you, you, you want to go on a diet. So you get all the junk food out of the house. Put off. Awesome. You read all about how you ought to eat. That's being renewed. Great. But then you don't buy healthy snacks. And so then you're hungry. And if you live right next to Dollar General, it's really easy to just kind of walk on over there and get some new snacks, right? Okay, so, so yeah, I'm, I'm who I'm talking about there, okay? So, so what, what needs to happen there is we replace it. With healthy snacks. There's a lot of healthy snacks, actually, that taste pretty good, too, just so you know. But anyways, okay, but some of us, we put it off, and we're being renewed, we're thinking rightly about it, but we don't replace it with a new way of life, and so we just fall right back to our old patterns. Put off, be renewed, put on, take that and apply it to any sin that you're struggling with. Put it off, and you know what? You might wake up the next day, and you're like, oh, I'm wearing it again, what's going on? Like, put it off again. Right? Be renewed again and put on the new way of life that Christ has purchased for you. 
And then in the rest of the chapter, I thought about just ending here, but I feel like the rest of the chapter, he illustrates this for us. So I want to look at this in verse 25. He kind of shows us some practical examples of what this looks like. We're going to fly through. So if you have your Bible, um, follow along, and I think you'll see this really awesomely laid out for us. Verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. So we put off lying and, and we put on truth. Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So put off unrighteous anger and instead be patient and have Christ-like anger. And, and just a side note, giving no opportunity to the devil has the idea of like giving him a foothold in your life. And some of you are like, man, I don't know what that is. Uh, let me just tell you, it's not good. All right. So if you allow anger to build up, if you allow this anger to take control of you, um, you're giving an opportunity for the devil in your life. And I'm telling you, it's just not good. Right. So verse 28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands. Why? So that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So put off stealing, put off laziness, and instead work hard and be generous. You want a noble reason to go to work tomorrow? So that you can be generous. Make money this week so that you can give. Because it's more blessed to give than to receive. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So we put off corrupt talk, and we put on edifying talk that's going to build people up with grace. You see the pattern. Paul then, I think, touches on the renewal part in verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. This is an allusion to chapter 1 where we saw that we were sealed by the Spirit. What does that mean? It means that we are identified as belonging to God. How awesome is that? And we were also, we're being protected, we're being secured by the Spirit until our final day of redemption. Awesome, okay? And so we don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. Let me illustrate. That teammate that wouldn't take off his dirty clothes was grieving his roommates, right? Like, you stink. What are you doing? Right? And in a similar way, when we allow sin to just fester, it's grieving the Holy Spirit who has sealed us, who has taken residence within us. Why would we put him through our sin? He hates sin. Christ died for our sins. So, so we, we don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. Verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Isn't that applicable for today? Put off all of that stuff and instead, verse 32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So we put off bitterness and anger towards one another and we put on tender-heartedness and forgiveness. And then I think this spills over into chapter 5 after studying it. Verses 1 and 2 I think should be part of this. Um, the verse and chapter numbers aren't inspired, okay? So um, don't be upset by that. All right. Verse 1 says, therefore be imitators of God. I think he's wrapping all of this up. Remember, you're made in the likeness of God, right? And you're being renewed into the likeness of God. And so be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, don't miss 32 and then 1 and 2. What does he say? He says, be kind. Why? Why do we forgive? Why are we kind? Because Christ forgave you. That's why. Not, not to make God happy with you. Because you've been forgiven. So who are you to withhold forgiveness? And then be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. Why? Because Christ loved us and gave himself as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This, this points to the motivation for why we do this. Because of Christ. 
Because of the cross of Jesus Christ. It's at the cross that we see the glory of Jesus climax. We gaze at the glory of the Lord on full display at the cross. We see the love of God and that he would die for us. We see the wrath of God and that he would punish sin. We see forgiveness there. We see mercy there. We see truth there. All at the cross of Jesus Christ. And so where do I find the motivation to put off and be renewed and and put on the cross of Jesus Christ? Don't get over the gospel. Preach the gospel to yourself every day. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So how does transformation take place? By beholding. Right? Because, what did it say? Imitators of God. Okay? So what do we do when we, when we really, really like someone? We behold them in their glory. Let's take Michael Jordan. What, what happened when Michael Jordan was popular? All across the country, there were guys running up and down the court, sticking their tongue out, and trying to fly through the air, and completely missing, because there weren't Mike. But why? Because we tend to imitate who we love. We tend to, whoever we're beholding, whoever we think is awesome, we want to imitate that. And so how do we find the motivation here? We imitate God because we've been beholding him in his glory, in his beauty, in his awesomeness. And we say, man, I want that. I want that in my life. And we're transformed from one degree of glory to another. So as we close today, I want to ask you a few questions for application. All right? First of all, what are some sins that you have yet to put off in your life? You know what they are. There's that sin you just don't want to let it go. What is it? Go through this list that we just looked at. Maybe it's lying. Maybe it's unforgiveness. Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe it's impurity. Put it off. Number two, what do you need to do this week to renew your inner man with the truth of God's word? Maybe that means no news this week. Maybe that means deleting all your social media accounts, which I think would be good for all of us. But what do you need to do to stop the voices of all of this culture from conforming you and instead be renewed by the word of God? What do you need to do this week to renew your inner man? And number three, what are some attributes that you can put on, like a clean outfit to walk in the life that Christ has purchased for you? Put off, be renewed, and put on. Don't be content to sit in your filth. Why would we do that? Why would, we, why would we be content to just live in this dirty lifestyle that we used to be before Christ? It's deceitful. It's not going to bring satisfaction. Step into the freedom. Step into the fullness. Step into the abundant new life that Christ has purchased for you on the cross. As we close, walk as the new creation you are in Christ.